When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In today's episode, we're going to kick it off with talking about the world's richest families. Then we're going to talk about a new crypto exchange that's trying to raise $100 million in the midst of this freaking FTX debacle. And while crypto markets are sinking and no one has trust in them, they're out raising $100 million or at least trying to. And then we're going to talk about money lessons from Hulu's new series, Chippendales. Enjoy. All right, welcome to The Age of Jeremy. Thank you so much for listening. Now, you might be confused because this is an episode on Friday and episodes usually come out on Tuesday, but I'm trying to do um, catch up on some episodes, so I thought I would release more frequently for a little bit. Um, And then I have something special coming, at least something that I want to do that's happening closer to the end of December, so I'm super excited about that. Um, But eventually, once the year gets kicked off, we'll go back into our weekly swing. I just kind of fell off the um, old recording in October and November because so much stuff was going on and, you know, just doing the thing. So now I'm trying to get back to that consistency game and trying to build this into the most listened to podcast in the world. I don't know what that's going to look like or how that's going to end up, but come along with me for the ride. Make sure that you follow me on all the social platforms from Twitter at Age of Jeremy Q all the way to TikTok at Age of Jeremy. And so the only one that's different is Twitter, actually. My Twitter handle is Age of Jeremy Q. Everything else is Age of Jeremy. You can find me. Go check me out on my YouTube channel, Age of Jeremy, and check me out on the 3T Behind the Lens channel. I'm on there from time to time, spitting knowledge, spitting fire what have you, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it. I'm doing it. Sometimes I'm just spitting. So um, anyway, so make sure that you follow me on all those and then also follow the 3T Warrior Academy YouTube channel and follow Coach JV at all of his social media spheres. My goal is to be omnipresent. I know that that is a religious term for, well, I mean, I guess it's not a religious term, but we think of God is omnipresence. So I guess we're trying to be like God. We're trying to be God. I guess is what I'm I'm going for here. So anyways, I want to talk about the world's richest families. This is from a Bloomberg article. The Waltons are branching out into NFL ownership and music festivals, breaking with their historical thrift. That was part of the um, opener for this. That's not really why I wanted to read this, but I guess the Waltons are going to be eyeing the Denver Broncos. So that's exciting if you're into football or if you're into NFL ownership. I plan to own some sports teams in the future, probably more like rugby or like, I don't know, minor league baseball or the Phoenix Suns or something along those lines. But I believe that if you're trying to build a family empire, at some point, I think that you need to own sports teams. Sports is an entertainment thing. It's not about owning the actual team. It's about entertaining and place for people to go and see sport. So that's really 
really cool there. Um, so let's see who's on this list. I, to be honest with you, have not read this article yet. I was trying to think of things to do for this article or for this podcast. And I was like, oh, this seems really, really cool. So number one, let's talk about the world's richest families. Number one, the Walton. So Walton is the world's largest retailer by revenue, $573 billion from more than 10,500 stores worldwide. The Walton family owns 47% of the retailer, a stake that's the foundation of the world's largest fortune. And as I talk about it a lot, they own that through their Walton family foundation, I believe, or through a Walton family LLC, which is super important. So if you're interested in how to structure that, you can reach out to me um, and I can talk to you um, via my Q financial business and give you some insight into that. Or you can go and um, talk to an estate attorney or to a, um, a financial advisor, and they can advise you on why an LLC owning your assets or a family trust or family foundation owning your assets is beneficial. Um, and then here's some cool did you knows. Did you know Rob Walton, daughter Carrie, and son-in-law Greg Penner bought the Denver Broncos for a record $4.65 billion this summer? That is ridiculous. That is a lot, a lot of money, but I guess now the Waltons own the... Um, the uh Denver Broncos. So that's good. All right. Number two, Mars, not the planet, the family, I guess. Frank Mars began selling molasses candies in 1902 at the age of 19. The business he went on to create is best known as M&M's, Milky Way, and Snicker Bars. Though pet care products make up about half of the company's almost $45 billion in revenue. I think they own Purina, if I'm not mistaken. The or um, Yeah, I think it's Purina. The closely held business is owned by members of the Mars family. Mars is the world's biggest provider of pet care products and veterinary services. The reason why I think that this is important is because... A lot of the times we think of family businesses as just owning, you know, mom and pop shops, but family businesses can become empires, right? They own the majority of the stocks and the companies. And then did you know Mars is the world's biggest provider of pet care products and veterinary services? That's a did you know in this article, and you can find the links to these articles in my bio. I'm only going to go through a few of these. The Cokes or the Cox, I don't know how you want to say it. I've not a huge fan of them. Um, but that being said, Coke Industries, $128.8 billion um, generations. It's in its third generation. Uh, Mars is in its fifth generation, and the Waltons are in its third generation. So we'll see what happens after this third generation. If you don't know who the Cokes are, brothers Frederick, Charles, David, and William inherited Father Fred's oil firm. A fraternal feud over control of the company in the early 1980s led Frederick and William to leave the family business while Charles and Davis stayed. It has since grown into Coke Industries, a conglomerate with annual revenue of about $125 billion. The family manages a portion of its wealth through family office 1888 management. And again, the reason why I think reading about these things is you can learn about some interesting things. So for instance, if you don't know what family office is, they have an, a family office that manages their wealth and their investments. It's called 1888 management. And that's how I learn about a lot of these things. So what I do is when I'm reading these things from places like Bloomberg Business Week, which is where I'm reading this right now, I go and do the research on those things that I've never heard of before. And that's how I gain my knowledge. So a lot of the times people think that I am uh, have a higher intellect than I do. I'm not really all that smart. What I do, though, is when I don't know something, I have a thirst for understanding and a thirst for knowledge. And if you can gain that, you will set yourself apart in business and your career, whatever it is that you're trying to do. All right. Did you know Coke Industries unit Matador Cattle Co. sold a 340,000 acre mountain ranch to Rupert Murdoch last year for $200 million? Who the fuck cares about that? Moving on. The Cokes are evil people, in my opinion. So... 
I'm just not a fan of them. Al Saud, Al Saud, the 90 year old monarchy for which Saudi Arabia is named, can credit the nation's unrivaled oil reserves for seeding its collective fortune. This net worth estimate is based on cumulative payouts royal family members are calculated to have received over the past 50 years from the Royal Dewan, the executive office of the king. The total wealth controlled by its estimated 15,000 extended members is likely much higher. Many royals have made money through brokering government contracts and land hills and by founding businesses and service state companies such as Saudi Aramco, 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 it's an oil company. The Kingdom Sovereign Wealth Fund, PIF, PIF, has 620 billion in assets. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman personally control assets worth more than uh, 1 billion. They're in their third generation. They're worth $105 billion. Prince Ali Wad bin Talal al-Assad was an early backer of Elon Musk's bid to take Twitter private. I guess it's all about who you know. All right, number five, luxury goods, Hermes. 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 Hermes? Hermes. I actually like Hermes products. I'm a big fan of luxury goods, I guess, because I like to pamper myself. Oh, real quick. The Al Saad family is into their third generation. The Hermes Foundation, Hermes Foundation, the Hermes Company family is $94.6 billion. They're in generation six. The sixth generation family owns the French luxury fashion company, which I love, famous for its Birkin handbags, which can run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars among the family members who maintain their senior position at the company are Pierre Abex Dumas, the artistic director and chief executive officer Axel Dumas. Hermes operating private margin sorts record 40% in the first half of the year. Who gives a crap about that? Founded in 1837, I just, I just like this company, so I'm going to talk more about it. 1837, Thierry Hermes started to make riding gear for noblemen. Sounds amazing. Business moves to 24 Faubourg saint Honoré, Paris. I don't know how to speak French. I'm just kind of being an ass. Grandsons Emile Mori Hermé and Adolphe Hermé became joint presidents of the company in 1902. Emile's son-in-law Robert Dumas creates the first Hermé's silk scarf. Gotta buy me some nice silk, silk scarf since we're coming up on. In fact, for fun, let's go see what a Hermes, Hermes silk scarf cost. Hermes silk scarf. Hopefully you can hear me typing to make it even weirder. I don't know why that would make it weirder. Alright, silk scarfs at Hermes cost Four hundred and eighty. Oh, nope, 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 nope. Here we go. Men's scarves. These are all women's scarves. All right. This is actually scarves looks pretty dope. It's four hundred fifteen dollars. So we'll call it four hundred and fifteen dollars. But one of the best things I love about luxury goods, if you go to their menu, you can go down to um, let's see here, home, outdoor and equestrian. And we can look at fun games and outdoor and if you look at this, they have an amazing chess set that I love and I want, but it's $2,750, which isn't really all that much money. There is a paleo backgammon game. It's $7,150 and backgammon is amazing. And we'll be briefly mentioning backgammon a little bit later on in this episode. So stay tuned for that. All right. Back to these rich people. All right. And then we have um, Ambomni Family, Reliance Industries. Anyway, the reason why I wanted to talk about this a little bit more was because if you go, go and look at all these people and read about it and see how long their business has been around, how they've changed over time, and what you can see is they, the families that can outlast those multiple generations are always improving and innovating and changing. Don't, try, don't look at these people as negative people and elites. Look at these people as how you can build strong 
families, how you can learn other strong family things to create strong family relations like communication and bonding and setting goals as a family and working together as a family and see how you can mimic the good things about them, right? That's one of the reasons why I brought this up. Also, too, I think it's good to know some of these people. Like number nine is Thompson Reuters. He has the Reuters company. Um, It's one of the things that we should be doing to um, educate ourselves on other people, the people that we should kind of uh, research more of than just the people that we see on, say, like, um, I don't know, Twitter, because we hear Grant Cardone. Let's say Grant Cardone's worth a billion dollars. Who gives a shit, right? Nothing against Grant Cardone, but what I'm saying is I want to learn from these people. I want to learn how they have been able to go six generations and create $94.6 billion, the Hermes family, right? And so, or if I look at Ambani family, 84.6 billion or the Mars family, I want to know how they've been able to last that through so many generations, like the McMillian family, which is a company cargo. They're number eight. There were 65.2 billion members of this family are majority owners of Cargill, a fan, a food and agriculture company that had revenue of 165 billion in the 12 months ending in May. It was founded by William W. Cargill, who started the commodities business with one grain storage warehouse in Iowa in 1865. His descendants may maintain control of the industrial giant, both branches share a family office, right? And so they're worth $65.2 billion and they've lasted for seven generations. I don't even know where two generations are away from my fucking family. These people have been able to create and maintain a business, create generational wealth and have lasted through seven generations. You should want to learn from them than learning from Grant Hill or any of the other uh, Grant Hill. Grant Hill's a fantastic basketball player. Nothing negative against Grant Hill, Grant Cardone, or from um, Gary Vaynerchuk, or yes, they have great things to get cash. Ken Mack is another one. Nothing against Ken Mack. He does a show with us, right? Nice guy. I've talked to him many times, a few times, shouldn't say many times, a few times through video chat. Him and coach have a show. Great guy. I am saying that I want to know how they created seven generations of wealth and built it to $65.2 billion. I'm not interested in quick cash. I'm interested in leaving a legacy, and I hope that you would be interested in that too. All right. So moving on from these rich people, learn from them. Don't hate them. Learn from them. Don't hate them. Okay. So next up, um, got a cool little clip here. Actually, I just split the clip. Nope. Nope. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. All right. I have a clip here that I'll play for you in a minute, but I want to talk a little bit about this crypto lender seeks. Oh, I guess it's 1.5 billion in funding. Jesus, I said 100 million at the beginning of this. Crypto lender seeks 1.5 billion funding value. Oh, he's got a billion funding value. And see, that's the problem with news articles and why you should read the actual article because he's actually targeting a hundred million in funding. But in this, it seeks 1.5 billion funding value despite FTX chaos. So he wants a hundred million dollars. It's going to push his, his business to be worth $1.5 billion. If you kind of want to understand that more, I have a video on our three T behind the lens. I think it's coming. I think it, by the time you're listening to this, I'm recording this on 1127. I think it comes out on 1130. So you should definitely check that out. But I'm going to play this clip right now. Caused, of course, by the collapse of FTX. If successful, the funding round would value Matrix Port at one and a half billion US dollars. For more on this, I'm joined by Bloomberg crypto reporter Savashri Ghosh in Singapore. Savashri, uh, what, what do we know about the discussions on the fundraising? The timing is, is interesting, to say the least. 
Indeed, it is. And uh, firstly, let me just give a quick brief about Matrix Sport. Matrix Sport is a crypto lender based out of Singapore. They are backed by investors like DST Global and Tiger Global. And now they are looking to raise $100 million at a valuation of $1.5 billion. We understand that the first $50 million of funding is tied up. Uh, they are still looking for another $50 million to be committed from investors. That's the update that we have regarding the deal. However, I want to add that Matrixport has said they have no risk of insolvency from FTX, but there are clients that they have who have exposure to FTX-related products. So that's the, you know, the summary of Matrixport as a lender, which is looking to raise funds in this stormy market. Okay, and that detail, that detail is important. How, how likely is it that they're actually going to be able to raise this money? How much appetite is there to lend to this sector? What are we seeing? A very good question, you know, Tom, because uh, VCs, the venture capital that we are seeing are pretty reluctant to put in fresh money as we as we are looking around the world where crypto markets are pretty, the confidence in the crypto market is pretty shaken, right? And we have seen that the overall digital assets market is also pretty uh, pretty low in confidence, though it, it's weak overall. So yes, it will be a uphill task for Matrix Port to raise this kind of money at a valuation of more than a billion dollars. So, yes, it'll take time. Maybe challenging, and uh, and we don't know what the what the eventual uh, fundraising amount will be. It is it is tough times now to raise funds for anybody in this market. I'm looking at crypto right Bitcoin right now down uh, seven tenths of a percent, but holding above sixteen thousand. Uh, Silvestri, what what are you and the team looking at and monitoring? in the days ahead more broadly within the crypto okay. sector as we continue to Matrix Port Matrix Port was founded by crypto billionaire Wu Jihan belongs to a class of firms trying to bring a familiar Wall Street formula to the virtual asset landscape it offers crypto financial services from custody to trading and structured products to both institutional and retail, retail customers. In Asia, it competes with firms like um, Babel Finance, which is restructuring after taking hits from this year's crypto meltdown and to Mask Holdings PTE-backed Amber Group. Investors have been burned by a series of high-profile crypto failures in recent months, sparking fresh concern over loose regulation of the industry and a lack of guardrails to protect client assets. Here's the thing. With the way that we hyped everything inside of cryptocurrencies, we just created, it's like a rosebud, I forgot the rose, but there's a rose somewhere that like became the highest valued rose or flower in history, all because of people just wanting it. And that's really what cryptocurrency has become. Because most of these organizations and businesses don't have a revenue model right? They're treating the coins in essence like a security to some degree to raise money, right? To get money. And then essentially they're all just Ponzi schemes where they have to get people to buy the coin to get more cash, to pay the people that liquidate their cash. And there is no other revenue that's coming in. That's why when I look at something like Gala Games, and I'm not going to say that Gala Games, I, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes at Gala Games. I don't know any of that. But when I look at Gala Games and they have the game and they're selling the NFT skins as the asset to play inside of the game, that's somewhat of a revenue model. That's why I've been very bullish on Gala Games and where Gala Games is going. Will it might, might fail? It might. Who knows? I don't know. I'm not saying that you should go out and buy Gala and you shouldn't. What I'm saying is that there's another, bit, there's another model there that brings in other money, right? So, 
that's something that a lot of cryptocurrencies and a lot of the a lot of businesses haven't been you know, doing. Okay. Now that's not a hundred percent what happened in the FTX case, but FTX and the sentiment of what's going on with the crypto market is how long are we going to be naive to the fact that most of these things are just trying to make money with crypto when we're, when it's, we're not taking enough time to look at what we can actually build with cryptocurrencies. The reason why I like, I don't like, I'm not expecting cryptocurrency to make me rich. If XRP skyrockets, I have a, I have a bag of XLM. I have a very, very small bag of XRP for some reason. And if XLM moves, I will make money. Um, after we sell our NFT, it's going to be on XRPL. We'll have that in XRP. If XRPK settles and that moves to like $10, $10 or $5 or even $1, I will have a lot of money. And I'm not saying that you can't do that. What I'm saying is that the, the, that's not the reason why I'm interested in cryptocurrency. I'm interested in cryptocurrency for the ability of the cryptography that takes place on the ledger to make sure that transactions are secure. It works a lot better than well the current infrastructure that we have with inside of our banking system. And it has the ability, the real ability to create a secure place or a secure software that we can actually create it where we can do digital voting that is safe and secure. Now I know that there's going to be some weird people up in Arizona, North of Arizona or West of Arizona, North of Arizona, somewhere in Arizona. Yes, north of Arizona, because I bought a PlayStation from there um, that are going to be really mad about that. And they're going to be sitting and saying, ah, we don't want to take this digital. All everything's going to be rigged. It's not going to be rigged. We're going to eventually move to a digital voting system. And the best secure way that I can see is uh, voting on a blockchain. India has been voting digitally for many, many years, and they are working on creating it on a blockchain from what I learned at the recent Apex. That's what I'm excited about. And that's what I'm hoping that people can understand that crypto is not a quick get quick get quick rich thing. Nothing is get quick rich. If you want to make massive amounts of wealth, you figure out a problem to solve, you go and solve it and you sell it on the fucking market. And if you created a big enough solution to a big enough problem where there's a gap missing in the market, then you will make a bunch of money. Focus on that if you want to make massive amounts of wealth. If you want to have some passive income, yeah, you can throw some money in a crypto, you can throw some money in the stocks, you can build a nice retirement egg. I, I think that that's, that's, you can do that, but I want digital currencies so I can buy stuff with digital currencies and we can create amazing blockchain technology and stuff that's happening with FTX. What matrix port is trying to do. There's all of this money flooding into this market and um, we might end up in the same place. And we, and, and the other problem is, is that people have really low sentiment towards cryptocurrencies now, especially after this FTX thing, FTX, essentially went bankrupt in one week because it had no liquidity reserves. And then we're hearing things like Coinbase doesn't have any liquidity. Their bonds are selling for garbage. We as a society need to do a better job and I need to do a better job, hopefully, explaining these types of different things on different episodes so people can understand how bond works, how cryptocurrencies work, so that you aren't taken advantage of. That's why knowledge is important to me, so that your you don't become oppressed, so that I don't become oppressed. Okay? And so... I don't know if matrix port is going to be able to do this. It sounds like every other exchange, but who knows? I didn't hundred percent fully read, read everything in this article yet. My bad. I need to listen to my own advice. Um, but, um, 
Uh, Wu, the co-founder of crypto mining behemoth uh, Bitmain Technologies LTD, turned his second venture into a unicorn last summer when Matrixport raised more than $100 million from backers, including DST Global and Tiger Global. Matrixport also counted IDG Capital and Dragonfly Capital as investors. I mean, I don't know. If there wasn't money that existed, do I think that these things would create the money that they needed? I have no idea. But I do sure love hearing good stories about bootstrapping it. That's what I want to hear more of. I want to hear like hardcore bootstrapping stories where this kid built this exchange by himself with the last $2 that were in his pocket and he turned it into a billion dollars. That's what I want to hear. Um, Wu spun Matrix Port off from Bitman in 2019 after the world's largest maker of Bitcoin mining rigs ran into a cash crunch. See another cash crunch. See, this this is what I think is happening with the, with this with the crypto market is it is kind of like a Ponzi scheme. You need people to continue to buy. So you have the enough cash to continue to sell. That's all that a Ponzi scheme is, right? Do I think that all of them are doing things that are unethical and um, illegal? No, I don't think that. I think that a bunch of people see a bunch of money. They get blinded by that money. A bunch of money comes flowing into them and they think that they can make these businesses work when they have no other guidance or education or understanding of what's happening. And then they realize that, oh, fuck, I need to have liquidity to play these people. and I don't have any liquidity to pay anybody because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about some money lessons. Actually, I want to talk about I want to talk about a money lesson, and it's a very important money lesson about bootstrapping. I just went off about bootstrapping a minute ago, but I think that we're losing that in this new era of finance and leverage and debt. Um, and I think I heard a really great thing. I couldn't find an actual clip from it, but it is from the new Hulu series Chippendales. Um, and Kumak. Kumail Nanijani, and I am I need to really learn how to pronounce people's names before I start saying them on here. So Kumail, I'm so sorry if I said your name incorrectly. He um, gained prominence, I think, from Silicon Valley. He did a complete body transformation for his role in the Eternals. He was in this comedy that I can't remember the name. It was fucking hilarious. He gained 20 powers to do this role. 20 pounds to do this role and he uh did this it's it's this new hulu series called chippendales i've watched the first episode amazing there was one part in it that i think that was great but here's the trailer a world of luxury right at your fingertips this could be unlike anything else you're gonna make a lot of money trust me this is my life Every cent I have, I've put into this. You and me stick together, or you and me go to war. Are you ready? You can't take this personally. This is business. Okay, that probably would have been better if you could see it, but maybe you got the gist of it. Essentially, it's about the founder of Chippendales and the story that went on behind it. I don't remember his name, but Kumail does a fantastic uh, job in it. And there's a scene in the first episode where he's talking to um, the person that he works for and the person asks him to oversee all of his gas stations. And he essentially says that he is going to quit to start a backgammon club, which I think was a great idea if he was able to execute it, but he's going to start a backgammon club. And that backgammon club eventually becomes what we know now of the male, um, the, the women's club, um, Chippendales. 
And so um, it, in that scene, the guy's like, well, how are you going to essentially do that? And he says that he's saved up $40,000. And this was probably in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, or something along those lines. So that's quite a bit of money. And he says that he was able to save that because he ate like the bread that was going to go bad at the store. He had been working for seven years. He didn't do a social life because he focused on his goal. He saved the money. And then he was going to go off and start his amazing backgammon club. And then, yeah, I'm assuming the story has a horrible ending because it looks like it is sad based off of what happens in the, 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 the trailer. And I, Maybe you know the story of it. I don't know the story of it. I know a little bit of the story from the Linda Stratton story, um, who was a playmate that was um, murdered and then the murder committed suicide and they're in this story as well. Now, that being said, um, that being said, I think that that's something that we're missing. And one of the things that really helped me with money and still helps me with money is that if we think about things and well, let me go back. So be really good at budgeting your money and go without because the longer that you go without while you have the means to not go without the further along you will be. And what I mean by that is I have the, and this I'm uh, please don't take this as like a bragging thing. I'm, I'm doing this as a point. I have the means to own somewhere between an 800 to probably a $1.5 million house. Okay. That's what we could probably afford a month. Now, that being said, is that where I live? Absolutely not. My house payment is $1,000, and that's where I think house payment should be. Um, I would rather have this house and another house and maybe another house and be able to travel and go to those houses. Um, the other thing is, is that I would rather also for right now, take that money and keep investing into my business, investing into understanding how to manage a house properly, taking that time. Like the garage door has been broken for like two years. So I'll fix that. So why would I need a $1.5 million house that well, something breaks on it? I would not. And plus the taxes, maybe I couldn't afford them. Well, see, and that's the other thing too, is like you push yourself to the max right? And then you have no room to breathe or to take that money to go invest and create other things. It is important to me to have a home that I 100% own so that no matter what happens in the future, my family, my offspring have at least one place to stay if they want to stay together. And hopefully they're not all fucking assholes and argue and fight over it. But the thing is, I think that we lose the ability to do this bootstrapping thing. I think that that's the thing that we need to take, take back. You can build a business, a side business, Business, very slowly, methodically over time, grinding it out, saving up money, investing that money, taking that money, putting it into a new asset that then you use to create new revenue with. But what we see on social media, what we hear is, oh, you can leverage it. You can borrow it. You can do this. You can do that. Everybody can go and, you know, be a social media influencer. You don't, you know, do brick and mortars anymore. It's all online. And that's some kind somewhat true, right? Like a lot things more are on now, but you can build a business and you can build it slowly. You don't need to stop your job. You can do it on the side. It's all about what you are willing to grind and what the opportunity causes you are willing to forgo. The gentleman in this chip and story, he forgo, he forwent any type of personal life, any type of girlfriend, eating food, living in luxury, living it within his means. He loved, lived well below his means so he could reach his goal. And that's what I'm hoping that we can get people back to. 
to is learning to live with what you have or below with what you have so that you can put yourself forward into the future. And for the 20 year olds and the 30 year olds that listen to this, and even the, some 40 year olds, everybody's like about now, 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 now. Well, right now you're not living probably where you want to live. So why not forego shit right now so that when you are in that next generation, you don't have to forego anything and you can live comfortably, meaningfully where you are. And that's the thing that I'm hoping that I can inspire inside of people is to realize that you have a business idea, whatever that is, write it down goals, write down actions, write down schedules, right? Relooking at my schedule for this. I relooked at my uh, play, my podcast schedule. And like, now I'm blocking out more time to record, getting much more focused at it. And it's okay. If you don't, you miss it and you fuck up and you're not perfect. It's not about perfect perfection. It's always about progression. Once you get that, you get better at that consistency over and over. And then you start to make things kind of grow and they continue to go and then they grow and they grow and it makes 10 years. But I looked at it said, I can put an episode here, here. I'm doing something in Christmas. Okay. This is the amount of time that I need to record this. I need to find that time in my schedule. I need to lock that in and I need to sit down and record when those times happen. That is the most important part about that is that discipline. This gentleman had discipline. This Pakistani Indian actor who's Pakistani, but he plays Indian roles. I don't know what, what specific nationality his character was in this, but um, my point is, is that he had a lot of discipline. It takes a very strong person to be able to do what he has done and what a lot of like entrepreneurs do is that they grind things out. It's not always about easy money. It's about hard lessons, about learning, about getting, about managing. And we never hear about any of that stuff. We don't hear the real stories about the people that started these, like these wealth families, the people that started Walmart, the people that started Hermes, the people that started, you know, um, uh, the, the people like Fred Arnold who took Louis Vuitton to where it is, they didn't essentially start there, but, and he didn't buy it, but like we don't hear or Mars, we don't hear about those things because it's not fast enough for us. It's not, it's not that it's not that inspirational. It's about going to bed at roughly the same time every night, spending time at your house, being alone, building a business, teaching things to people, getting them to do some of the things, slowly growing it, getting better at it. And we as Americans, at least it takes too fucking long but would you rather take the time right now and be fucking dirt fucking miserable if you want rather would you rather eat shit right now for seven to ten years and then eat fucking caviar for you know 20 30 40 50 60 70 80 the rest of your life that's a saying from gary vaynerchuk so that's not me so i want to give credit where credit's due but my point is is that is that where you want to be if that's what's important to you and maybe that's not even important maybe it's important to you like it's important to me to have my house paid off it's more important to me to be honest to have this house paid off and know that i will never have to worry about a place to live because that was always a fear of for mine of growing up and then living where i didn't have a home for a while seeing what happened with my cousins where they were living on the street for a while, you know, uh, many, many times <laughs> struggling. I don't fucking want that. It is more important to me to have the house completely paid off, not have to worry about shit. And then I can slowly work on to the next one. People just need to get their fucking priorities straight. They see all these fucking people on fucking Instagram, on TikTok, on social media, and they create a narrative that they get you to buy into so that you then go and buy whatever the fuck it is that they're selling. And half of the time, it's just selling a course on how to get 
get money rather than actually on how books work, how revenue works, how debt to income works, how you actually negotiate deals, how you can structure your processes, how you can use Microsoft Teams, how you can use Facebook, how do you actually create email campaigns, right? Which is what what, what the ideal was really behind when we created Uncommon 1% is we wanted to show those. So if you want to learn more about that, you can head on over to Facebook group, type in Uncommon 1%, um, see if you have to go through it. We don't take everybody, so answer some questions and you might be able to join that free group. But my point is, is that that's the problem with how things are actually done is no one actually teaches you the things that you specifically actually do. Right. And then when I try to tell those things, like go, if you want to learn about finance, read a finance textbook, be like, Oh, well that's hard. Yeah, it is fucking hard. The shit is fucking hard. Not things aren't easy. Grind it out. Right. It's Sunday evening. I should want to play Odyssey right now. I was like, no, I'm sticking to getting these two freaking podcasts done this week. I don't want to get behind. I don't want to turn it into a nightmare for myself later on because I have so much shit going on. Just go and fucking do the podcast. Talk myself into it. Stopped what I was doing. Came in here and did it. CJV coach. He wakes up every fucking Saturday. For the most part, he records all five episodes on a Saturday or a Sunday. Right. If he has um, his child. He can't do them on Saturdays. Once he gets them, he wakes up early on Sunday and he does it on a Sunday. Most people are concerned about going to church. We're concerned about changing the world and grinding. Um, maybe we should be going to church. But the point is, is that, is that, is that we do not, it, it is hard. It is difficult, right? What we see out there is not real. It is just someone's story to make you feel a certain way. They so they can sell you something. That's all all marketing is of all time. That's what it is. Seeing something, selling a story, getting you to con- or getting you to feel a feeling so they can sell you something, right? But there's so much more stuff that goes into business that you need to actually learn. But my point is, is that if you have a business and you need to start it, you need money to do that business, get a second job, save that money, lower your expenses, save the other money, save something up, grind it out, and then get what it is that you need to get. It takes time, it takes energy, it takes efficiency, it takes sacrifice, it takes foregoing other things in life that you may want. You might ruin relationships, but if you have open relationships with those people, maybe they want to help you, maybe they want to be a part of it, maybe you talk to them, maybe you share things, right? That's another piece of it, actually, is we need to have better community. I'm not going to go on another tangent, but we need to have better communications with the people that we hear about and our family members, and that is very, very apparent, and I think that we should all work on that. But back to the point at hand is that grind it out because I know that you have something inside you that you want to do, but you don't know how to start. The first part is to see if you um, have the money to do it. And if you do the great, if not, then you need to save up the money so that you can do it. Don't go into debt off the bat, save that shit, do it. Don't go into debt off of it. I would highly recommend you grind that part out and bootstrap that shit. Secondly, and that's just for my own, my, my own mistakes, the mistakes that I see from others. And now where I'm getting at, where it just makes more sense. And that's why I've just cut my expenses and I'm just trying to grind out other things and trying to move many, many things forward anyway. So there, and then make a list of what it is that you have to do and then set time to do that. And then stick to the time that you do it. If it's making dials, if it's, you know, doing the marketing plan, if it's learning how Facebook works, if it's learning programming, just start doing it and little by little the plan will unfold and you will start moving yourself forward all right remember be thankful grateful and kind i will talk with you next time and have a great day
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you liked this episode, make sure that you like this podcast and subscribe to it in your favorite podcatcher or wherever you're listening to it right now. And make sure that you rate it if you um, in your podcatcher if it allows you to. The opening song was Spanish Love Songs. Brave Faces Everyone off of their album Brave, Brave Faces Everyone. The closing song is from Illuminati Hotties called Threatening Each Other Recapitalism off of their album Let Me Do One More. Remember, be thankful, grateful, and kind, and we will talk with you next time. Bye.